So this morning I'm going to talk about a, a hot topic, and I'm going to talk about counsel, and I'm going to talk about obtaining wise counsel, where you get it from, when you should get it, and who's talking to you. Because everybody's hearing something from somewhere or someone. Counsel is divine as getting advice. Or somebody's recommendation. I recommend that you do this. Or I'm going to advise you that I think you should do this. Or when you're in a difficult situation, you come to somebody and say, I really don't know what to do. I need some advice. Everyone needs wise counsel in their life. Not only in times of crisis, though. Yes, we're going to go through crisis in our life. I wish I could tell you you will never go through crisis, but that's not true. Hardship, difficulties, trials. I wish I could tell you you'll never go through a storm in life, but storms happen. People do goofy things, don't they? People get sideways. Hurricanes come. Financial situations come. All kinds of difficult things happen in our life. And so in the midst of crisis, what happens more often than not is that people then run and cry out to the Lord. Because they don't know what to do or they're at rock bottom. And I call that crisis Christianity. God doesn't want you to be a crisis Christian. But let me make sure that I clarify this to you. You can always come to the Lord in crisis. And I have done it a thousand times over. So I'm not telling you that God won't be there for you in the midst of crisis. What I am telling you is that there's a better way. The better way isn't just when all hell's breaking loose in your life and you've hit rock bottom over and over and over again. You keep crying out to the Lord and then things get good and then I'm good and I'm not desperate anymore. The better way is to stay desperate all the time. You know, when things are going really well and you just got a promotion and hey, that girl likes you or that, that boy's interested in you or you're about to have, when you have the baby and a new baby comes or these awesome things happen and you met someone you love or you fill in the blank of all the things. You have a moment of peace, prosperity, and rest. Those are the times to get your hands up. Trust me, I've walked with the Lord enough to know and understand that God wants us to be consistent and steadfast at all times, not emotional roller coasters. He doesn't want you hot, cold, in, out, once a month, every now and then. Now I cried out, oh gosh, I saw you, but boy, then it really got bad, and now I'm in crisis, and then I, or I didn't see you, and then now I see you. And it's okay, you can keep coming back. Never feel shame for me. If you don't come back for a month, if you leave today and didn't like me for some reason, but God tells you to come back, I'm going to love you just as much then as I do right now. I'll never beat you up. Because i got to always be there the way that the Lord has always been there for me. Because man, have I bombed it a thousand times over. Who hasn't? But you become steadfast. Everybody say steadfast. You know what steadfast means? It means I'm fixed, I'm postured, I'm positioned, I'm immovable, I'm unshakable, and I've made up my mind. And therefore I'm undeterred no matter what comes my way. And it doesn't mean I don't get hurt. Yes, you can be hurt. People have done many, people I've loved have hurt me. Jesus was despised, rejected, and hurt. But I choose to not take a hold of offense, and rather, I say, you know what, that really hurt. And so I now talk to you about it, and I give that back to the Lord, instead of retreating, being isolated and offended. So we all need wise counsel in our life, not just when we lost our job or we can't pay our bills. I've been in all of those situations. 
Everyone. I know what it means to not have money to pay for the next thing. I know what it means to live the baked beans on the floor stage. The baked beans on the floor stage is when you're barely able to make ends meet. I know what it means to live on McDonald's cheeseburgers when they were 39 cents a long time ago. Because it's in those moments of trial that you learn to trust. It's in those moments when, it, when you stop comparing yourselves to everyone else that has and you stop living in the world of have and have nots and you say, Lord, no matter what, where I'm at, I'm going to trust you. And we, we say, Lord, I, I need you more than ever now when I don't have because when you learn to trust the Lord before your breakthrough comes, when you learn to trust the Lord at all times, you position yourself for the great things that he has in store for you for the future. Because it's not about the stuff. None of this life is about our stuff. It's about family. It's about love and life. What good is it if you have all the money in the world and you lose your soul? The, the scripture actually says if you gain the world. The word gain means I pursued it. Don't think arrival. Think I was always chasing material things. And I was always dissatisfied. And I lost my soul. You can be chasing it after it now and lose your soul. Don't think when you die. There's a process of chasing the world every day if you're not careful. God doesn't want you chasing after the things of this world. Man, there was an anointing on that. Just take a deep breath. It's going to be all right. So you... God doesn't want you to be a crisis Christian. He wants you to be steadfast in every area of your life. And he doesn't want you to be an emotional roller coaster. He wants you to be emotionally stable. Now, let me say something to that. Real men do cry. Real men do cry. And being emotional, emotionally stable does not mean that I don't feel emotions, nor does it mean that I don't weep. Jesus wept. And I'm going to tell you, I remember a long time ago when I was a youth pastor and I had a, a van full of leaders and teenagers. And every now and then in my life, this still happens to this day, I get a glimpse of someone maybe walking down the street or especially someone if they're handicapped or disabled. Or I have a thought that comes through my mind about something and I feel the burden of the Lord and I just start crying. I mean, I cry quickly. But it wasn't always that way. And in that van, I saw somebody walking down the road and I had a thought. God gave me a download for that person. Walk. I won't ever talk to them, but God gave me a download for them as, I, as we drove by. And I had emotion start to well up inside of me and I said, not now, Lord. I said, not now, Lord. Because of pride or I didn't want to look weak or whatever it was, I didn't want to cry in front of, that, of my leaders and teenagers at that moment, for whatever the reason. And do you know that seven years after that, I was so dry emotionally and spiritually, and I said, Lord, I haven't cried in so long. And he said, yeah, remember that moment? I said, yeah, and I looked at my calendar, it was seven years. And I had to repent. Some of you never cry. And you can't make yourself cry, but you can at least be open to the emotion so that if God wants to touch your heart, you're going to weep. I weep at the, there's movies I cry at that I really am like, I hope Amber doesn't see me crying, but I'm still crying <laughs> because I get a moment. I mean, I see some movies that you'd never cry and I'm bawling. And that's not a sign of weakness. 
It's a sign of vulnerability and it's a sign of emotional stability because I'm not afraid to be myself. Okay? Now, yes, there can be emotional instability when you cry a lot. But crying is a good sign. In fact, the Bible says that the Lord catches all your tears in a bottle. And I don't have time to tell you about that. But if you'll look it up in the Bible, it's fascinating. Because David was being beat down by his enemies and weeping and weeping through all the hardship he was going through. And he says, Lord, you know and you remember because you catch all my tears in a bottle. That means he re- what it's really saying is he'll never forget. And he'll always bring justice where there was an injustice. That's why if you think you have to fight for justice your way, you will miss God's true justice in your life and theirs. Weeping is a powerful, powerful emotion. All of us receive counsel in some way or another. From yourself, from others, from society. And hopefully and most importantly, from the Lord himself. That's the most important. We're going to discuss those four areas. I've even come up with kind of a fifth one. But we'll discuss those four ones in just a moment. The question you have to ask yourself is, how do you receive counsel? And last week I talked about correction. It was, it was an odd topic title because as soon as you say correction in a church, I'm telling you people get defensive, especially if you've had religious dysfunction. Correction doesn't mean manipulation, control, or me trying to find the faults in your life. There's a right way to receive it. There's a right way to give it. And we need to have correction in family, with children, in our workplaces, and all things we do so that people can do the right things in their life. We need it. And we need to be open to it. And we need to be humble. And I talked about that last week. And so if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that message on the podcast because this is really kind of the part two of last week talking about counsel. But who we get counsel from and how we get it is important. So the question is, how do you receive counsel? You need to make sure that you're not being prideful. The Bible says that pride goes before a fall, that pride goes before destruction. And prideful can sometimes be perceived as arrogant, haughty, cocky, and it shouldn't, and it can be. It can, be, it can be that. But spiritual confidence is what God really wants to bring in your life, not pride. And so we have to humble ourselves. We can't allow ourselves to be arrogant and to have an I know it all mentality. I have this statement when it comes to maintaining a teachable spirit. And it's this. If I respect you, I'll inspect you. And then I'll direct you. If you love me and care about me and you respect me, I need you to inspect my life. In fact, the Bible says that as Christians, our lives are open books, epistles read by all men. Everyone reads our lives. Jesus lived a completely public life. He lived a private prayer life, but he even made that public. So the Bible says he went to the mountain to pray, as was his habit. But we live our lives open and public for people to read without fear and shame, but rather we have confidence in ourselves and who we are and who God's called us to be. So we have to have a teachable spirit. We have to stay humble. So you have to stay humble. The next thing is you have to learn to discern. Everybody say, learn to discern. discern. Discerning the intent of those speaking into your life and responding appropriately is critical. Now, 
anybody that gives you any advice ever or counsel has a purpose and intent behind it. And their purpose and intent may be what they think you should do or not do. They're giving you advice, right? And so you have to learn to discern. And discernment is actually a gift of the Holy Spirit. And so instead of me judging right off the bat, not listening while you talk, and formulating my answer for you, I listen and I discern. Because even if you're wrong, and I can sense the spirit of with, with which you're telling me and what you're saying is not right, maybe the Lord has a purpose in that moment. And if I'm not listening, and I'm quick to be the judge about what you're saying and doing, I'll miss an opportunity that the Lord might have. That's why you always have to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. I will teach you that, and you will learn if you sit with him over the course of time. But discernment says, you know what, thank you so much for telling me that. I don't feel that that lines up biblically, and man, you completely missed it. But thank you so much for being willing to tell me what you said. And you say it in a nice way, and you love them. You know how many people come up to give my wife a prophetic word at service, and they saw something? Or how about when I'm preaching, you see something, you feel something, or the Lord impresses something on your heart, and you come up to tell me? There could be two people right and two people wrong. But it's okay because I learned to listen Instead of formulating answers and preconceived ideas of what you're going to say in advance and then defending myself. I don't have to justify myself ever in any situation except one. Question my faith. Just ask me why I love Jesus so much. Just please tell me Jesus is not real. Why is he real to me? I will, I will love answering that question. But I don't have to preserve myself. I don't have to justify myself. I don't have to defend myself. What I have to do is to love really, really well and learn to discern. The second question is, when should you receive counsel? I define spiritual maturity as this. If you want to ask yourself, how do I know I've really arrived spiritually? Where, where is the arrival point? Well, first of all, let me tell you, there is no arrival. So if you're waiting for tomorrow or next year or five years, if you're saying to yourself, one day when... Well, you could always be saying that. I remember 10 years ago, I said, well, in next year, and then it was two years and three years, and then I said, well, in five years and in 10 The process starts right now. And arrival takes a lifetime. We arrive when Jesus comes back. But we're in process of growth, and the best sign of spiritual maturity isn't, you didn't sin anymore, you read your Bible all the time, you were always worshiping, you were super spiritual, high and mighty. That's not the best sign. The best sign of maturity is that you learned to be led by the Holy Spirit at all times. Because if the Holy Spirit is leading you, then you won't act out in your own way. You'll always do what he wants you to do. And so the fruit of spirit will be manifest in your life. Preference, love, joy. And so when I meet somebody for the first time, I'm not judging you and trying to figure out what your issues are and going to hit you over the head with the Bible. Instead, I'm going to love you really, really well. That's, that's maturity. Now, I don't always get it, and I've not arrived, and I'm not perfect. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. We're all in the midst of process. But process is, is the things I used to do, I don't do anymore. So the bar hopping, drug dealing, pot smoking, that old guy's dead. The person you used to be pre-Christ dies. But then you have this process of learning and discovering. You don't just arrive immediately. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to work on our soul realm and cause us over time to grow, mature, and come to the place where now we're being led by the Spirit at all times. 
And being spirit-led doesn't mean I pray when I have to go take a poop. Just love that. Just shaking you. I'm going to get you guys to smile this morning if it's the last thing I do. This is family. Come on. We're not. So the point is, is that I'm not having to pray, take a left, pray, take a right. No, you learn over the course of time and maturity the voice of the Lord and, what, and how to be led by the Spirit in your knower. I call it knowing in your knower. It doesn't have to be so mystical. You can be led by the Holy Spirit and grow into maturity over the course of time if you stay the course and don't give up. You have to be in constant communion and what I call intentionality subconsciously. My, now my conscience is no longer seared or jaded. Now it's healthy, so the Holy Spirit just leads me. And I begin to know in my knower. But not everyone knows that. So we have to learn to hear God's voice. We teach our children right from wrong. We teach them how to make good decisions so that when we're not always there, they'll hopefully do the right thing. Okay? You should always be hearing God's voice. But if you aren't, there's always a reason. There is always a reason if you're not hearing God's voice. And I ask people that question all the time. Are you hearing God's voice? And I love it when people are honest with me and they tell me, no. I said, you know what God's saying? I have no idea. That's why I'm asking you. I love that. Okay? But if you're not hearing God's voice, there's always a reason. And there's a couple of them. If you would say, I'm not hearing God's voice, I'm not sure what he's saying, there's a couple reasons. Now, on one occasion, you could be doing everything right. Everything. You sat with the Lord, you worshiped, you spend time with them, you read your Bible. Not out of mandate, but out of love. I mean, you're just doing all the right things. You don't feel like you're hearing God's voice. In those situations and cases, it's because either A, he wants you to lean on somebody else for guidance, or B, he wants you to keep pressing in and not give up. Because sometimes it can take a day, a week, two weeks. Thank goodness Daniel, when he was praying, didn't give up because it was right at that, what, two or three week mark that the angel, the archangel showed up who'd been wrestling with the prince of Persia. So it took time. You never know. And in that day that you chose to give up, you never would have known the next day or the next week your breakthrough came. The Lord wants to see consistency. There's no 90 day trial period. Try Jesus for 90 days. Your money back. We're not selling a product, okay? So the Lord is silent at times on issues and questions. He can be silent on issues, questions, and guidance. But it's in times like those he wants you to dig deep. Look at this scripture, Proverbs 25.2. I love this scripture. I'm going to give you a couple nuggets out of this. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. The word glory here is used two times. In other versions, the second time it says glory, like in the King James, it's actually the word honor. Okay? But they're both the same word. And that word in the, in the Hebrew is the word kabod. And the word kabod in the Hebrew means the weight or the manifest presence of who he is. His nature, his image, and it's like he's in, it's like when we're worshiping today, I could feel the weight in the presence of the Lord up here. And I'm like, man, I'm just like ecstatic, fired up when he comes like that. It's like you feel God in the room. But kabod also means honor, treasure of riches, glory, respect, and the very nature of all the answers that you ever want to know are wrapped up. 
So what the scripture doesn't mean is, I'm happy not to tell you what you want to know. Because matter is, what's your matter? What's the matter? What's the matter? As in, what's your struggle right now? You're asking the Lord where to go. Some of you are deciding to stay at this church. Some of you are asking the Lord about your job, your city. You have relationship struggles. There's always a million things you need to know at any given time. It's like I said about worship today. Seven times a day I'm surrendering and Lord, I really need to know. And so it's the glory of God to conceal the matter you need to know. He's concealing it from you. Why? Look at the second part. Look at the pattern. Because it's actually an honor that I don't just get the answer immediately. Wouldn't it be so nice? How many of you have ever said, God, just tell me what to do for goodness sakes and I'll do it. Come on. And the Lord says, I love you so much that I want relationship with you. And I'm actually not going to tell you because it's going to force you to get in my face. And you don't get that answer until you go sit and spend time, rest and pursue and listen. And I want you to also notice the word search out. Search out means to seek and to go after him. And the kingdom of God is built on asking, seeking and knocking. It's a constant process all the time in our life. It never ends. You don't do it once every now and then. The principles of the kingdom are built on this pattern. And so the Lord, more often than not, is not going to tell you until you pay the price to get it. And that's the second reason why people don't hear God's voice. is because we're not willing to come to the cross, deny ourselves, lay down and say, I've been living a sinful life and I know it's not right and I don't want to, so I say yes. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't get clean before you take a shower. You dive in deep. You get wet when you're dirty. But if you keep living that life of sin, you hinder the voice of the Lord in your life. It's just simple. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It doesn't mean he won't pursue you. It doesn't mean he doesn't care about you. He's always standing with open arms. You can always turn back to him. But when you make the choice to say, I'm going to keep living my own way and I'm not going to stop. He says, then I'll be silent. I did just say that in church. Because it's true. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't want to talk to you. It means that he's going to conceal the matter until you say, Lord, I repent. I'm sorry. I'm tired of doing it my way. I'm tired of being sick and tired. And he says, come on, son. He gives you a big bear hug. He says, I love you right in the midst of it. He didn't even address the other issues. He says, I care about you. In fact, I already knew that's why I gave my son's life for you. While you were yet sinners, Christ died on the cross. Matthew 7, 7. Ask, seek not. Check this, check this out. Ask and it will be given to you. Or another uh, version says you'll receive. And the thing is, the challenge is, is you don't always get it the way you wanted it. Then you say it wasn't the Lord. It's like the guy with the flood, he's on the house, and he says, send help, rescue me. The helicopter came, the boat came, all the help came, but it just wasn't the way they wanted or the way thought, they thought God was going to do it. So you asked, you asked, 
and it didn't quite happen the way you thought it should, and then you said, well, God, that must not have been God. It wasn't my way. So you got to learn to discern, know his voice, and all three go together. Asking, seeking, and knocking go hand in hand. When you ask, it's given. When you seek, you find. When you knock, it's open. And I live a life. You know how many decisions on a daily basis I have to make. I have leaders and paid staff and volunteers and coffee shops and family and homes and bills and a million things that I have to do on any given day. So I learn to live a lifestyle of asking, seeking, and knocking so that I can make good decisions. Otherwise, I'll be wore out, burned out, fried out, and I'll make some big, big mistakes. To whom much is given, much is required. And the greatest way to fulfill the requirement is on that screen. Look at the next verse. Look at the next verse. Everyone, I would say everyone. It doesn't say only the chosen ones. It doesn't say only the pastor. It doesn't say only the super elite will get it. If you make the decision to live a life of asking, seeking, and knocking, doors open, you receive, and you will find what God has in store for your life. But it requires discipline, time, and consistency, and commitment. And where's commitment today? When we get offended, it didn't go the way we thought it should or what we want. We're ready to throw in the towel and give up and leave the church and leave our spouse. Because we're not denying ourselves and really laying down our lives. We want things our way. But anybody that makes the decision to live this life will have supernatural breakthrough. I know because I've had to live it desperately. Desperately. I've been so at my end so many times. I can't even tell you how many times. And it's sometimes an everyday daily battle. The cost of discipleship. Man. I wish I could just make it easy. But if you hook up with Jesus, he makes it easy. Because you get to do it yoked up with him. And you know what happens when you come to Jesus? Broke, busted, wore out, tired, empty, and you hook up to Jesus. And now you're plowing and he's making life. And then you say, I'm going to go this way. You got a yoke on you now. And it'll never, ever work. In fact, you'll be frustrated. And it'll frustrate your plans. And you'll say, I don't know why none of the doors are opening for me. And none of the financial, and I can't find a job. That's the biggest thing I hear. I'm, I'm telling you, we're going to start praying against that. Because too many people are chasing after money and jobs and leaving town. When God called you here for a purpose, and it wasn't a, just a job. And if you leave just chasing jobs and money, you miss family and community and the more God has in store. And I'm not telling you that God won't have you move because many come and go. I pray them out all the time, and it was the Lord. But it's not always the Lord. I'm just shooting arrows at you today. Shooting arrows at you. Make your heart a bullseye. Say steadfast. Please. Steadfast means you're not going to waver. Look at Psalm 51.10. Let me give you the context of this. I'm going to move a little fast. David bombs it. Picture your worst day. Picture the worst thing you've ever done. Ever. He did it worse. He wrote this worse than you've probably ever been. He murdered the husband of a woman he seduced to have adultery and got her pregnant. And then because she was pregnant and didn't want to be called out, walking in shame, he had the husband murdered. Any of you can compete with that? Don't raise your hand. 
Sorry. So David says, he says, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Bring me back to the place of fixed position. But first David had to repent. And why David was called a man after God's own heart wasn't because he didn't screw up. It was because when he did, he repented. See, to say create in me, if you really know the Hebrew understanding of create in me, it's really saying I'm really sorry. Because the word create in the Hebrew first means cut me down. Lord, I'm putting myself in a passive position. My dogs know I'm the alpha dog. No, listen to me, this is funny. I'm going to use a dog scenario, but why not? My, we have a Labradoodle who's really smart, like really smart. That dog, when I look at that dog and the dog knows it's in trouble, the dog goes. I don't, never beat my dog, ever. The dog's never been abused but he knows who's in charge. And the premise of create me is this. If you love to cook, you take your best ingredient and you, you cook it down and extract what's inside of it. You create a beautiful meal from the ingredients that needed to be reduced. He reduced, the word create means cut me, Lord. I'm sorry. That's really a repentance word. It means, Lord, I screwed up and I want to be what you want me to be, but first I'm going to put myself in a passive position so that you can make me to be what you want me to be. It's powerful scripture. And he says, renew that steadfast. I want to be steadfast. So, Lord, please bring it back into my life. I don't want to be moved anymore and tossed about like a wave in the sea or a cloud without water that has no purpose. I don't want to be that anymore. It's not the life I want to live. Psalm 57, 7. David says, my heart is steadfast, O God, two times. He makes the declaration. And he says, because my heart is steadfast, I'm going I'm to paraphrase this for you. Because my heart is steadfast, I'm going to make myself an instrument of worship. It's not going to be about people singing to me anymore or me joining in because the word for praise here is the word zamar. There's seven words for praise. And this word for zamar means to become an instrument and worship the Lord as a musical instrument. And I know some of you sing really bad. That's why we turn up the music and turn down the lights. Get up here and let it rip. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Come on, you can do it. I can't sing very good either. But trust me, you, I was down here today and I'm singing out loud. I haven't been down, in, down here in worship because I'm usually up there. And I'm singing, and I had this moment of thought. Everybody's going to hear how I sing. <laughs> Off key. So you know what I did? I got a little louder. So he says I'm steadfast. And because of that, no matter what, I, here's the premise of this, no matter what I go through, because I am committed, I'm going to worship. That's why I'm always on you guys on worship. You know that. You know how awesome it is to see 100 plus people up here and kids? I mean, I had, it was so awesome. And I couldn't make this happen in my best day. This is the Lord. I never 
require anybody to come up here. Can you imagine if I made you come up here? Nobody's being made to be up here. You're being prompted and answering the call by the Holy Spirit. I really love this. Are you guys enjoying this this morning? Is this okay? Will you stick with me just a little bit longer? I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you something else. This one's really going to rock you along with my next 10. Psalm 112.7. You're going to get bad news, guys. I wish you would never get bad news. But there's good news always. It's called the gospel. And when, glad, when bad tidings come, evil tidings, you can't be afraid. And you come to the place of not walking in fear because you recognize God's not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. When you mature, you stop get walk succumbing to fear. Oh, bad news came? Well, then God's going to have another bigger plan for me somewhere. Oh, my shop got wiped out? I'll build a better one. And, I, and yes, there are times I have to wrestle with the Lord. I'm not like supernatural, high and mighty mountaintop guy all the time. Trust me, I'm weeping, I'm crying, I'm crying out. I'm getting dependent upon him. It's a, we're all in this together. And so even when you got bad news, they fired you unexpectedly, I'm sorry, have faith, I'll weep with you, it'll be all right, you're going to come out stronger, trust the Lord. I'm sorry when those things happen and I have empathy and I know it hurts. I'm not discounting hurt. It hurts. Let's not be pretentious. Sometimes people do things that hurt us. But it's a matter of not making it an offense and becoming bitter. Bitterness, unforgiveness, and offenses will kill you. Just prepare yourself, though, to be hurt because Jesus was. And now you recognize and realize no matter what comes my way, no matter what news comes my way, there's our word again. Our heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Uh, we've got some bad news in our life. In fact, a little over a year ago, when we got the worst news of our life, we made a decision day one to stay steadfast because we'd walked with the Lord enough. We had been through it enough. And for some of you that are young spiritually and you go through your first time or you're going through a difficult situation, please trust me when I tell you, have faith in the Lord. He will cut... You will come out stronger. You will come out stronger if you don't back down and give up. And finally, you know when I say, and finally, there's two more, right? I mean, you just know that. It's all right to laugh in church, guys. Can you give me just a couple more minutes? Your options for attaining counsel are pretty simple. I've narrowed it down to four and maybe five. I told you that earlier. The first one is, I'll just tell you what they all are right now. It's yourself. It's others. It's the spirit of the age. Or it's the Lord. That's four. My fifth one was, if you say you have a spirit guide. Because that spirit guide, and there are people in this world, a lot of them, even young children or teenagers have been seduced to follow after their friend named fill in the blank. Some of you may have had that. And it's your friend that comes to you and talks to you and advises you, okay? So that can be five things that counsel. The spirit of the age, yourself, others, the Lord, or if you're saying you have a spirit guide. 
I don't have time to touch on that one very much, but I will give you a better answer. In counseling yourself, do you know that no one counsels you as much as you do? Who talks to you the most? Yourself. Some of you, there's times I am like about to zonk out and I can hear the wheels in my wife's head spinning next to me. And I look over and her eyes are like this big. I'm like, it's sleepy touch. I know, but my mind just, I can't turn my mind, I can't turn my brain off. The narrative that you tell yourself about yourself can either be extremely destructive and dangerous or good. And more often than not, the narrative that people are telling themselves, you're counseling yourself, is destructive because of a variety of things in your life. Number one, starting with how you were raised. If you were told you were a mistake, we didn't really want you, we wished you were a girl instead of a boy, you'll never measure up, you're stupid. Or how about if you were not raised in that environment, but at the same time, you were told your only purpose is to have babies and stay home. Or your only purpose is to make your husband or your wife happy. Or your only purpose is, and it's minimized instead of getting you to be a dreamer, that the world can be yours and you can do anything that God calls you to do if you trust him. Now I'm getting you to think. So you may not have gotten even some of those other things that I said, and maybe you did, but if you didn't get the dreamer, the creative, the life, the nourishment, if you weren't properly nourished by your dad or your mom, guess what? There's a dad that you never had. He's the best dad that I never had because my dad did that to me, checked out. So how you were raised tells yourself a narrative about you. How about your self-esteem? If you have a low self-esteem about yourself, your confidence level is not there. And not only is your confidence level not there, but something else really, really profound happens. You become insecure in who you are, and then you have an unhealthy dependence on others. You know what that's called? Co-dependence. I can't live without you. And codependence is dysfunctional. And it's unhealthy. Some of you are breaking codependence off your life. I can't have codependence with my wife. Can I depend on her? Sure, we're married. We're one flesh. We need each other. We're a family. Do we depend on each other? Yes. But if you don't have a healthy dependence first on the Lord... And if you don't have a proper picture of who you are or your self-esteem is jacked up or your only value is based on what you do or it's always about your looks and what you wear and where you buy your clothes and your hair, we have a problem. And that's not the kingdom of God. And that's not going to be in this house. I don't want that here. I want you to to understand process confidence. I want you to get healthy. I want you to get into what God has for you, receive counsel, get people in your life that will speak life to you, and be open and receiving and learn to discern. The next one is past experiences. If you were 
If you were raped, if you were really beat, if you were really hurt, if a church hurt you, and I could go down the line, if pastors were dysfunctional, your past experience then has defined a belief system. And then you have that narrative inside of you, like even when I'm talking. I'm, I'm constantly trying to overcome with some people, especially visitors, if you're visiting, not saying it's you, but I always have to overcome false narratives about pastors, church, and religion because it's been so bad. But it's not all bad. So I don't just say it's all broken and we're the only ones. I teach you what health and life looks like and then we become right. The answer isn't to disengage. The answer is to become and make the difference. The answer is in our children. The answer is in teaching our children. Imagine, I'm, I was up here. My, I, my kids aren't used to seeing me down here because I wasn't up there today. But even when they come up there, it doesn't matter. They're watching my every move, boy. They watch my every move. I'm, and I'm not doing it just because they're watching, but if they're going to watch me, I'm going to show them what oh, radical worship looks like because that a kid is uninhibited. That's why the Bible says unless you become like a child because the older you get and the more you know, the more religious you become and the more stiff and staunch you become. And that's why the Bible says unless you be converted and become like a child, you can't even receive the things of the kingdom. So I put a little pep in my step. I lift my hands a little higher. I don't care who's watching because I'm not pleasing you. But if you're going to watch, I'm going to set an example. Bam! Guys, I really am almost done. Look. I only have nine pages left. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I'm really not. So I'm not going to get it done. But I'm having so much fun today. I don't want to put you to sleep. I don't want to make you tired. I don't want to just be long-winded. If the Lord's here and you guys got it, I stay on it. Okay? And I feel like he is. I feel like I'm really talking to so many of you today. Okay? Hopefully your wheels are really spinning this morning. Okay? So, these things are just so important. Comparing yourself to others. The comparison thing is so unhealthy. Please, Stop comparing yourself to one another. Everybody's in a different place. God's dealing with everybody uniquely. Not everybody can be alike. It's not always going to be sunny outside. There's all kinds of different weather patterns. You can, it's not ever going to stay one way. You trust the Lord wherever he's got you and stop trying to compare. And it doesn't mean we don't have examples to look up to. We have to have role models. There's many people I look at, man, I want to I have those qualities. I want to be like that. But I don't fall into depression because I'm not like that. And then we start falling into depression because one's skinny, one's fat, one shops at the mall and one shops at Walmart. Who cares? Who cares where you shop? That's not the issue. That doesn't define you. You're not defined by your social status. I shopped at Walmart. I had the most awesome Russell sweats. I had the best sweater. I had to go to Walmart, yeah. I was out of town, it was raining, it was cold, and I didn't pack right. I said, take me to Walmart. And I was looking awesome. <laughs> Come on. I'm trying so hard to get some of you to laugh. I don't know what it's going to take. The last false narrative that you tell yourself about you is how God feels about you. And it's the greatest one. If you have a warped view of God's love and how much he cares about you, 
You'll tell yourself that. You made your bed, lie in it. God's punishing you. You deserve this. He's never going to, you're never going to get this Christian life right, ever. If you have a false narrative about the Lord, you will tell yourself that, and you'll always walk around not fired up and excited, but you'll have this lemon-sucking, hunchback thing, sour face, always upset, always hurt, always frustrated. Every, what kind of life is a Christian life always beat down? I didn't trade my lifestyle of sin and drugs and rock and roll and reggae music for a dead religion. That's why we have to recognize if you got a false narrative from your past churches or past Christians or whatever, and just break that thing out of your life. Check this out. Psalm 13, 2. The Bible talks about counseling yourself and what happens. Look at this. Here's a pattern. When you constantly counsel in your soul, that's telling yourself your narr narrative, you'll have sorrow in your heart daily. And then your enemy will have a foothold in your life and exalt himself over you. Because you are now becoming your own God. So when you're your only counselor telling your own self, your own self-narrative, you are now a God unto yourself. That's idolatry. And what happens is, is that you begin to get depressed, anxious, worried, nervous, sleepless nights. When you're your own counselor, you will fall into dysfunction and then the enemy will wreak havoc in your life. Right there it is in the Bible. Proverbs 19, 21. We're constantly making plans, aren't we? But it's the Lord's counsel that stands the test. So we always have to be getting his counsel. When you get counsel from other people, which is my second scenario, there's a difference between opinions and wise counsel. We need less opinions. They're like belly buttons. Everybody's got one. And I don't want your opinion You know what an opinion is? It's what I think you should do. Let me say it again. It's what I think you should do. But wise counsel is spirit-led based on the voice of the Lord and what I know to be true. And so now, because I care about you, my advice and my opinions and my counsel are from the Lord, not myself. There are times where you won't get your initial answer until you go get it from someone else. But then you still have to take it to the Lord. There have been times where I said, God, I just don't know what to do. And I sit with him 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 and I don't hear and I don't know and I don't know. And the Lord says, I want you to go get wise counsel from someone else. Because it forces my hand to go to someone else. Because then, if I didn't have to do that, I would say to myself, I don't really need you. I just have the Lord but God speaks through other people. And so we learn. You know, I had determined before I came to Corpus Christi that I was going to Miami, Florida. I was 100% sure. I had an opportunity to lead a YWAM, Youth with a Mission Ministry, at the University of Miami. Don't hate me because I'm a Hurricane fan. Ray's going to Orange Bowl games. I love the Miami Hurricanes, no matter how bad they were. But I... What was I telling you? Sorry, I got sidetracked on the hurricane thing. I was sure that I was supposed to go to Miami. And I wrestled with the Lord for two weeks on it because I had an opportunity to lead a prophetic ministry of evangelism on University of Miami and then travel all around the world, particularly Kona, Hawaii, 
were the headquarter base. So I was like, yeah, Hawaii, Miami, this is my thing. Until the ministry said I had to raise my own support. I'm like, this ain't my thing. I do not want to be a missionary to Miami. But I wrestled with the Lord for two weeks on it, and I felt like the Lord said, yeah, I want you to go to Miami. So I called up one of my uh, wise advisors, Mark Lewandowski, who was the provost at Oral Roberts University, and I said, I feel like the Lord's sending me to Miami. I, I've been praying about it. He goes, well, before you make that decision, I think you should consider Corpus Christi. He said, I've already, I've already heard from the Lord that I'm supposed to go there. He says, well, I'm just telling you, I think you should really consider going to Corpus Christi. And I said, well, what's there? And, and he explained it to me. I didn't even know where Corpus was. And I said, there is not a H-E double hockey stick chance I'm going to Corpus Christi. Here I am, everybody. And I have a thousand stories of getting wise counsel, then going to the Lord. And I said, Lord, I wrestled with you on, for two weeks about Miami. He said, I just wanted to see if you'd do it. I wanted to see if you would say yes to taking a job without pay. And when I did, he said, you're going another direction. Because he tests our heart. Because if it's about money, promotion, status, and if God will test you, he will test you. You can get godly counsel or ungodly counsel. And I'm not going to go through the scriptures. I have too many. I'm going to give you this one. Psalm 1.1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. There's ungodly counsel, guys. And it's everywhere. We can't even stand in the path. To stand in the path means I'm walking with them and I'm in their way, meaning like I'm going with them. And they're all around. That's why the bar scene every night you can go to some small town bars in this city and see the same people there every night and build community and relationships with those same people every night. Right? But there's better counsel. Did you know that the enemy, you have enemies on earth and you have enemies spiritually. Do you know that they counsel against you? Did you know that? Some of you are like, yeah, I got some enemies. And they're slandering me on the backside. Psalm 2.2, 2, the kings of this earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against who? The Lord, Jesus, and if you're born again, you are part of his anointing. And so they counsel against you. They take strategies. There's slander. I have so many scriptures about that. And if the enemy is counseling and working on overtime, if the devil hates you and is accusing you every day, Revelations 12.10, he's always telling you something's wrong with you. Let me ask you a question. Be honest with yourself. How many of you always feel like you're doing everything wrong? Don't raise your hand. How many of you feel like you're never going to get it right? You know what an accusation is? It tells you you're guilty. And an accusation is saying there's something wrong with you. That's why God's answer is prophecy that brings comfort, edification, exhortation, and encouragement. That's why we need the prophets. We need prophecy in our life. We need people that speak life, that are the, the, that answer the accusation. Because the devil, night and day, Revelation 12, 10, night and day means all the time he's telling you, you're jacked up. All the time. You're never going to get it right, bro. Ever. And the Lord doesn't really care. That's the devil. Can't say it any more clear. You're such a failure. Look at you. You don't worship enough. You don't read your Bible enough. You don't spend time with the Lord enough. He doesn't, 
You're never, and just goes down the list. I know those lies because I've heard them a thousand times. I've learned to understand the lies of accusation. Accusation means I'm being accused that there's something wrong with me and I'm guilty and I'll never get it right. That's a lie from the enemy. So I'm going to skip to the end. Yes, I am going to skip to the end. Okay? We need each other. Okay? If the enemy counsels and the enemy speaking, God has a counter strategy. Think war. The counter strategy is family, a community, a body, a unified front of people that love well, that can speak life and encourage you. And instead of kicking you when you're down and you screwed up, I'll pull you up higher. I know you messed up, but come on, I did it a thousand times. I love you. Now let's get you back on track. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to just wash us and cleanse us. You're going to make it. Don't give up. Don't back down. I know you bombed it. You have bu- burned the, everything, the bridge to ashes. But the Bible says he trades beauty for ashes. So I believe in you. And, and he takes the worst of the worst and makes it the best. He did it for Paul. He did it for David. And he did it for so many others. He can do it for you. Now get yourself up and let's roll. Pull your bootstraps up. Come on and get your hands up. I've watched some of my congregants in depression standing up here with sour faces or sitting down that I know better. And I grab you and I say, get up here right now and get your hands up in the air. Okay, Pastor. Okay, Pastor. Get up there. The minute they lift their hands up, their shame broke. Yeah. Woo, I'm fired up. I am going to preach for two more hours. Just suck it up. No, I'm kidding. No, really, we're right on time. Our second service is two hours. If you want a short service, come to the 10 o'clock, all right? But while I got you, I'm going to give it to you, okay? <clears throat> Proverbs 1.5, a wise man, a wise man will hear an increase in learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there's no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counsel, there's what? When this hurricane hit, I'm so thankful for Iris Ministries. Because they were the most boots on the ground organization that loved Jesus and ministry. That cared not about what they could get, but rather what they could give. And I thought to myself many times, I don't know how people lost their homes and their lives and didn't have an army of volunteers and people. So God said, will you become that army for them? And we did our best and we'll keep doing our best. But there's people that go through crisis in life alone and they don't know what to do and they don't have mamas and papas and they aren't. We have so many millennial young adults coming to this church that need guidance and counsel. Your children, my children. And so what happens is, is in a midst of an army, there's safety. In the midst of a family, there's safety. And when there's no family and no wise counsel, what happens? People are falling off, left and right, left and right. The only way we're going to be able to do this church for years and years and years to come is if we build a family and we lean on each other. I, I rarely ever say I can't do something, but I'm about to tell you something I can't do. I can't intimately be involved in all of your lives. There's, I just can't. I have kids, I have shops, I have the ch- millions of decisions. The best thing I can do is empower you, help you to become, and raise up mamas and papas so that your advice doesn't always have to come from the pastor. And then people say, well, you know your pastor? Well, yeah, he tells me about his life every week. You spend time with him? No, I don't, but I spend time with 
the other leaders and associate pastors, and that's my family. Because I just can't. I'll spend the next 25 years taking everybody to lunch and coffee, if that's the case. And I, and I want, to, my heart would be to do that. I want you to know that. That's my heart. And it will happen with some of us. Some of us will get time together as the Lord leads. But my capacity is only so big. I just can't do it. Neither could Moses. Moses tried to do it, and he wore himself out. Exodus 18. All right. Here's my last two scriptures. The spirit of this age. The spirit of this age is defined as the world system that's trying to counsel you. You know how you get counseled by the world? You watch TV all the time. You binge watch Netflix. You're always on Facebook, and you're always watching TV, news, CNN, Fox News, or, or uh, news talk radio. Now, I listen to some of those things. I know what's going on, and I watch it. But the thing is, the, so, the, the spirit of this age, the word age means aeon. And it means, in a sense, the cultural norm of the society. And the cultural norm of the society is always trying to define what our children are going to become. Fashions, clothes, looks, styles, music. And the spirit of this age, if you let it, will try to conform you to its patterns. And it's demonic. It's the greatest ploy of the devil, and you don't even realize it's happening. It's so subtle that it formulates opinions and mindsets in your life based on what the world thinks. And the Bible says that friendship with the world is hatred towards God because that thing, I'm not talking about having friends that are in the world. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about not allowing the spirit of this age to consult you and to be careful because all the things you let in your eye gate gets into your heart and you don't even realize it next thing you know apathy fear worry the white house president trump north korea you fill in the blank terrorism you suddenly are now caught up in the spirit of this age things instead of the kingdom of god the greatest counselor for your life is the holy spirit the greatest counselor when Jesus was ready to leave this earth, he said this profound statement in John 16, 13. He says, I got to leave you. He's telling his disciples, I got to go. Because if I don't go, look at what he says. If I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. But when he does come, the spirit of truth, everybody say the spirit of truth. That's the Holy Spirit. When he has come, what does he do? He becomes your spirit guide. So the next time you, be a psych, you see a psychic or meet a new age person, crystal meditator, tarot card person, just say, oh man, I have the most awesome spirit guide. And I don't even need a crystal ball. I'll tell you what he's saying right now. You'll rock him. We have a spirit guide. The holy, it's right there. He will what? And, he's, and check, look at the pattern. He won't even speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he speaks, and then he tells you things to come. So there was a pattern. Jesus said, I only say what I hear the Father saying. I only do what the Father's doing. And now the Holy Spirit will only say and do what Jesus is doing. So we have this direct line to the Father's heart through the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. So the Holy Spirit in me now guides me, counsels me, and instructs me. And there's, here's the fourth pattern. Father, Jesus, Spirit, you to somebody else. Because now I only speak, or I try. How about that? I try, because I want to. That's the best way, is to do it his way. Let's all stand.